Good morning, folks. Uh, it's June the 25th, and I'm uh, headed to a cutting in uh, Whitesboro, Texas, Jared Lesh's place. Uh, the uh, They're having a large dinner and benefit auction for my son for Porter. And uh, to be right honest with you, I really didn't have much of a desire to be around a large crowd or to, to even go to a horse show. Everybody wants to go show horses until you always have to go show horses and then it's not too fun anymore. Um, I just stay home and work. Uh, but, but they're doing that for my family and, and uh, I felt that I needed to be there to show my gratitude because I am grateful. And uh, I'm talking to my son, Ethan, this morning, and, and uh, he went to Idaho, spent a few days with my mom, and uh, I have the most wonderful mother. Uh, she's truly a, a Christ-like person. She's just, she doesn't like to say bad things about anybody. She always looks for the good in people. Um, she has a heart of gold. Uh, she, she's just wonderful, and she lives in, in Montpelier, Idaho, where I grew up, and uh, lives in the house I grew up in, and uh, so it's, it's kind of a kind of a go-back-to-your-roots deal for Ethan. I'm very grateful to my brother, Chase. He, uh, him and Ethan roped a bunch of steers last night over at Chase's place, and, and Chase has a, he's got a nice arena and a nice home, and, and he works hard, and He's fun to be around. He enjoys he enjoys roping, and, and that's one thing that we love about roping is we can do it forever. You know, unless you're an extremely gifted individual to play basketball or football or baseball, you you got a very very limited window of opportunity there. And yeah, you can do it at a small level, but if you're going to take it farther, you you need to be one of the extremely few and rare gifted and, and then of course even then you gotta you gotta have the, the mental capability to be coached and you gotta have the connections to get you uh, looked at by the scouts and and whatnot. So uh but roping's different. Roping's something you can do your whole life and it has a leveling system and a handicap system that allows different ropers of different levels to compete against those of their own kind. And it's something that my family's been able to do forever, and will always rope. And uh, so I'm grateful for that. My son could go and rope steers the base of Baldy Mountain, which was my great grand Belgian's favorite mountain. Um, there in the Bear Lake Valley in in, uh, in Idaho, right on the Idaho-Wyoming border, there sits the Bear Lake County borders between Lincoln County and Wyoming. And uh, Ethan called me this morning, and, and uh, he, he gave me the report of, of his evening and how, how much he enjoyed it. I'm grateful to my family for that. And Ethan and I, we talked about, about roping and different things, and, and uh, we talked about horses, and we talked about uh, people that get along with some horses, and some people don't get along with other horses, and... And, you know, here, here's one thing that we talked about. You know, people have, 
overbred these horses for the common person. Now, 60, 70, 80 years ago, a lot of horses that they bred were for gentle dispositions because they used horses for all things. They wanted a horse to be kind. They wanted a horse to be gentle. They wanted a horse to be safe, to be able to travel from point A to point B, have enough stamina to get you there. But they weren't so dead set on these horses being so incredibly physical and athletic as much as just serving a practical purpose. Well, nowadays, like in the world we live in, which is, you know, I, I train cutting horses and my, my uh, we rope a lot, and everybody wants these super well-bred cutting horses, even if they're not going to cut, they want the rope on, they want the big scoffs, the athletic moves, the foot feet. But the ropers, they don't understand that, you know, we as cutters work our horses six days a week. And we will go ahead and trot them or lope them or do whatever we have to do to, to get the edge off of them and get them in the mental state. We'll, we'll, we'll trot one or lope one for 45 minutes or an hour if we have to. Um, when we go show them, we'll, we'll, you know. And, and we've come to the point in society where if a horse isn't hog fat, everybody thinks he's thin. And I'm telling you right now, that horse ain't going to very rarely, especially a younger horse, it rarely is he going to be able to be hog fat and, and yet be worked. If he's really being worked, he ain't, he ain't going to be fat. And so people don't understand that. And a lot of these ropers, keep in mind ropers, I'm not picking on you, but I'm just calling it as it is, as I see it. They want to go to the pen and they want to lope that horse in five to ten circles and back in the box. And they want to do that twice a month. Or even they do it once a week and they think that, that they're really doing something, you know, and once a week counts to 52 times a year. And our horses in the cutting world will get worked more in two months than everybody else's will all year long and longer. And, and uh, you know, the way I told Ethan was this. I said, think of it like going to the gym. I said, if you have to go and work out really, really hard once a month, six times a year and then take the other six months off. I said, you're going to hate the gym. You're going to look at a, at a weight room. You're going to look at a gymnasium of any kind and it's going to give you ulcers. You're going to get anxiety just thinking about it because you know it beats the holy living shit out of you because you're not in good enough shape, especially when you're overweight. And I said, these horses ain't no different. We bred them to be smart and athletic and all that, but if you really care about your horse, you're going to go keep him in shape. You're going to keep him physically fit. You know, that's why everybody talks about, you know, their saddles fitting properly and whatnot. And there are a lot of poor-fitting saddles, and I ride good handmade saddles. I've got a lot of saddles that I've won, and they just sit there. They're trophy saddles. They just sit there because they're not any good. They don't fit my horses correctly. I don't really give a crap if somebody sees my saddles as champion on it. I, I really don't care. You know, if you want to be known as a champion, it's, it's what you do in the arena. Not the saddle you ride, but it's what you do in the arena. Uh, you know, you're only as good as your next performance. Somebody cared what you did yesterday. So, when, you know, a lot of them trophy saddles, they just don't fit me or my horse good, so I don't ride them. I don't like them. And if your horse is fat and the saddle doesn't fit, it's kind of like you being an overweight and out of shape and wearing a super heavy backpack that you're not used to carrying the rubs you're wrong. You're not going to last very long. I, mean, I don't know if any of y'all ever had a sore back. 
But life is not good when you're when you're back sore. And to be physically fit, not not just starved down, but but fit. You know, if you're going to get weight off your horse, you need to do it by riding him, not by trimming up the feet. You know, and then people years ago, um, they fed differently. Horses were allowed to graze. Uh, they had more land. Uh, nowadays, everybody wants to keep them in a stall, and they don't want to bite mark on them, and they don't want them, you know, they don't want to let them be a natural horse and be halfway physically fit. They think that everything has to be kept like show horse, and that's fine. We, we keep them that way ourselves, a lot of them. But if you're going to keep them up in a stall or, or a small corral or whatever, and you're going to feed them like that, you better ride them like that. And uh, I don't really believe in draining a horse unless he really needs it. Um, and usually that's because he's being worked. Uh you know, so your, your stomach ulcer problems and all that will go away if the horse can graze on green grass. Not just grass hay, but he's out in a pasture grazing. Um, and they need that. You know, the, you won't have as many chiropractic issues if the horses can go out in the pasture and move around and roll. And a lot of people don't understand that. And, you know, I, I had a guy come and rope with us one time years ago. And he said his heel horse didn't want to stop very good. He said, how do I fix that? And I said, go lope him around in a few circles. You know, go lope him for a little bit. He loped two circles on him and come back. And he goes to pull him to stop. And the horse was fighting his head. And he didn't really want to stop. And I looked at him and I said, I don't want you to lope that horse till you're sick of it. I said, you lope him until I say you're done. And the guy kind of looked at me like I had two heads. And I said, I'm serious. If you want to get better at this. So he, I just let him go lope. And we continued to rope steers. And after about a half hour, I told that guy, I said, now when you get ready to stop that horse, I hollered out across the arena. I said, I don't want you to pull on him. And that horse was loping around with his head down. He wasn't happy. He wasn't fighting his tie down and his bridle anymore. He was just loping around. He was lathered. He was tired. I said, this time when you go to stop, I don't want you to pull on him. I just want you to take your feet out of him and put your butt in the saddle softly and just say, whoa, don't even pick your reins up. So the guy does it, and that horse just, I mean, buries his ass and stops. And, and I said, now pet him. So the guy pets his horse. And I said, let him soak that up for a little bit. I'm telling him to lope the other way. He lopes the circle to the right, which ropers number two. And he lopes him around there for another ten minutes. I said, now quit riding him. Sit down. Say, well, don't pull on him. Again, the horse stops. Pretty. The horse is really tired by then. I said, just let him soak that up, sit there for a few minutes. Then the guy says, okay, he says, he says, so now what? I said, now go in the box and rope. And the guy comes out of the box, and, the, and uh, I was actually heading for him, and I turned him the steer, and the guy throws his heel rope, and that horse just drives it in the ground, just murders the ground, and just stops, and, he, and the guy dallied, and, the, and then he completed the run, and the horse looked like a champ. And he said, wow, he says, he says uh, so what do I got to do? And I said, you need to ride your horse more. You need to spend more hours in the saddle. I said, when that horse learns that stopping is a release, he's going to hunt that ground more. But I said, he's so full of energy and feed. He doesn't want to stop. He wants to go. And all you want to do is rope. I said, it's, it's, this is the horsemanship part that everybody talks about. And so many people in today's age, they think that being a good horseman is never 
never pulling hard on your reins, never being abusive to the horse, which I'm not saying you need to be abusive, but at the same time, you know, you, you equate it to a human, you know, somebody that goes to work every day and he has a job that's physically laborious. When he gets done framing houses at the end of the day, he wants to go home and just sit on the porch and make a barbecue, and he don't want to go out and honky-tonk all night. And Yeah, maybe one of the younger guys do it a little bit on the weekends, but once you get to a certain age, you're like, I don't, I don't have time or desire for that. I just want to go home and sit down. Hard work makes good horses and good men. And it takes dedication. If you're going to be good at something, you got to dedicate yourself to it. Even at the low levels, there's too many people out there that are willing to dedicate themselves to something. And they're going to rise up to the ranks faster than you are. But they're going to... And, that, and you don't have to be the best to enjoy something. That's not what I'm saying. But when it turns into a fight, when it turns into not being fun, that's when people quit. You know, I told my dad 10 years ago... I said, Dad, you're, you know, 55 years old, and you, uh, you know, you're, you don't have a very good horse anymore. I said, you have a young horse that requires a lot of training. You work in an office all day and sell insurance, and you go home, and, the, and then you don't have time to ride your horse all the time. And when you do ride him, all you do is fight with him. And I said, why don't you get rid of that young horse and go buy a 15-year-old finished rope horse that's solid in the box, that just does his job, nothing more, nothing less. That lets you enjoy it. Said riding for four or five years and then give him to some little tiny kid somewhere and turn around and buy you another. And he couldn't wrap his head around that. I'm not here to badmouth my dad. I'm just calling him like I see it. And, you know, Ethan and I talked about that, you know, and, and uh, Ethan talked about an article that he read uh, recently by Justin Moss that said the first time he made the NFR was back in like 99 or something. And he uh, actually uh, made the NFR on like a 19-year-old horse. A horse that just went out there and did his job. Now, I don't know why everybody else thinks they are above an NFR status when they're not, you know. And do them all their horses need some maintenance and care? Yeah. You're not going to find a horse that's been used much at all the best clean. A vet check is not to guarantee the horse sound or unsound. A vet check let you aware, be very well aware, a thorough vet check of what you are going to have to maintain. Because any horse that's going to thoroughly pass a vet check that's been used and broke and, and is, does the deal, is, is, uh, he's not going to pass a vet. He's just like me and you. If, if anybody that's, that's physically labored through their life, uh, they're not, they're not going to be able to, uh, to have the, the, the agility, they're going to have issues, you know, I'm, I just pulled into a gas station to get diesel, and I'm looking at an old man, uh, I'm pretty good at sizing people up, this guy's probably 65 to 70 years old, he just stopped on a Harley Davidson, he's got a big Fu Manchu, he's got a Harley Davidson vest on, he's got a black helmet on, uh, I'll just bet you 50 bucks that guy's a Vietnam vet, and I just watched him climb on that bike, and it's hard for him to get his leg up over that bike. But he did. He's just fixing to take off out of the uh, the parking lot right now. Got leather boots on, Wrangler jeans. I'm in Nakona, Texas. And I guarantee you that guy's used his body. And now he's out there doing what he loves. He's driving his Harley down the road. Now, I don't, I'm not a motorcycle man. I've never ridden a dirt bike or a motorcycle or any some sort of motorized two-wheeled thing in my life. 
literally, I never have. But uh, does that mean I don't like that guy because he's a motorcycle and not a cowboy? No, I think it's badass that he's doing what he wants to do. So, um, you know, back to this whole horse deal, you know, you got you got to use your head a little bit. Don't be so egotistical that you don't use your head and you and you let your ego keep you from winning. Don't don't do that, especially when it comes to your kids. I mean, Ethan, when he was, I don't know how old he was, it was, you know, he was probably 12 years old. And we, we always had some good old rope horses, but we'd, we'd run out of them. And um, so I bought him a bay horse that uh, was 16 years old or 15 years old, drop dead gorgeous. And he was a solid rope horse. And he won multiple saddles. I don't know how many thousands of dollars, tens of thousands of dollars on that horse. He could run 30 steers a night on him. We took care of him. We didn't, we didn't abuse him. We kept him looking good. And when Ethan graduated out of that horse and he needed a younger, faster horse by the time he was 16, we got him, uh, a, a, a lot younger, higher powered horse. And, um, we gave that horse to Porter, and Porter roped on him and, and, and did that. And I didn't go out there and say, well, I want to buy him a, a young six, seven, eight-year-old horse that's going to last him a long time. I knew the deal. Now, anybody that can do math, like, like the other day, I come across a horse on the Internet that was a 15-year-old grade mare. Super solid heel horse. Nobody wants to buy a grade mare. Why? Nobody's ever written a pedigree on a check I've won at a rodeo. Okay, nobody really cares about that. And this mare, the advertisement said, if you rope one steer on her, you'll buy her. And I watched a few videos of them roping on her, and this horse never made a mistake. She was spot on. They wanted $10,000 for her. And my my simple math looks at it this way. I thought, well, if you rode it for five years till it was 20, and then you retired it and gave it to some little four-year-old kid to learn how to ride on, that cost you $2,000 a year. Okay, that's 40 bucks a week. I mean, it's a tick less than $6 a day. Most people spend more than that on coffee. And if you want a horse to just go win on, that'd be the horse to go buy. You know, but everybody's egotistical, and they want to they brag about their pedigree, and they want to brag about the horse's athletic ability and all that. And I, I understand that. I appreciate that. But by golly, all the power in the world doesn't do no good if you can't control it. So... You know, an ego is a very heavy burden. A man's ego is a very heavy burden for a horse to carry. And you need to realize that them good horses only got so many runs in them. So if you do get you a good old solid horse, protect him. And get you a younger one. Now, like when I bought that old bay horse for Ethan, we called him Rifleman. I had a few people tell me, why do you let that kid run so many steers on that horse? Why don't you preserve him and make him last? And I said, well, for two reasons. I said, number one, he's not going to last forever because no horse does. I said, number two, that horse is here to teach my son. So if we burn him up, I don't care. We'll retire him and I'll get, get him another one. But that horse's purpose is to serve my son. He was a rock-solid horse that never got bad in the box, ran to the same spot every time, and gave him an honest shot. He wasn't the fastest horse in the world, but he was sufficient. He's a very pretty horse. He's a very smart horse, very obedient horse. 
And I mean, I could have sold that horse when he was 18 years old for 20,000 bucks any day of the week. And I wouldn't do it because he was there to, to serve my kids, you know, cause I, I knew if I sold him for that, I'd turn around and spend all that and more trying to buy him another. So, um, to us, it's a lifestyle. I'd rather pull a rusty old stock trailer and drag a really nice horse out of it than have a $90,000 trailer and pull a $10,000 horse out of it. I'd rather drag a $90,000 horse out of a $4,000 trailer. And that's just me. I don't really care what anybody thinks. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm going to a cut and there's multiple world champions there. There's Hall of Famers everywhere. Everybody has big fancy rigs and I'm going to pull in a flatbed pickup and a long tight stock trailer. And that's all I have. It's got a small four foot tack room in the front. I go there to compete, not sit in the trailer in the air conditioning. You know, if I want to do that, I'll go buy a camper and head for Yellowstone. So, um, I guess my point to this is I appreciate that my son wants to work at it. We don't do anything part way. We do it as fully as we can do it to be competitive. And we have to make decisions because we don't have all the money in the world. So if it comes down to me spending a lot of money on a trailer or spending a lot of money on a horse, I take more pride in the horse I ride and the saddle that I ride than the house I live in. You've heard me say that before. So, you know, I guess my point is, is be smart, use your heads, realize you got one crack of life. And remember that once you're, you realize that one day you will die, that you are not immortal, you're going to change the way you start looking at things. Everybody says, well, I'll do it down the road or I'll do it tomorrow. Tomorrow is not guaranteed. That's a very arrogant statement. Live for today. Sometimes I wonder what's more dangerous, planning for tomorrow or acting like it's guaranteed. You know, which one's more dangerous? So I guess that's up to you to decide. Uh, you know, but I can honestly tell you that I I don't regret the life that I've chosen. I uh, love the relationship that I have with my kids. Um, we've had to sacrifice and suffer in many ways for our lifestyle. And yet in other ways, we've been very, very uh, fortunate. So y'all do that with that, whatever you want. That's just my advice, you know. And uh, just remember that nobody learns together. You can't take a young kid and a young horse and tell them to learn together. That'd be like sending all your kids to kindergarten and pulling all the teachers out of the school and saying, let the kids learn together. Doesn't work. You know, you need a good old solid horse. And if the horse that you have doesn't work, get rid of it. If you lose money on it, so what? You lose money on everything else in the world. I don't know why you think you you, you got to make money on a damn horse. You lose money on your boats, your four-wheelers, your cars, your trucks. People lose money on real estate. People lose money on tennis shoes, coffee, blue jeans, guns, you name it. They lose money. And all of a sudden, they think that they got to make the same amount of money on a horse as the guy that does it for a living. That's not how it works. You know, if I buy a truck and I pay a mechanic to put a new motor in it, a new transmission and all that, the blue book value still carries the same weight. The only person that's going to make money on that truck is the mechanic. Now, if I do all the work myself, I may turn a profit on that truck. I may. may not. So, you know, if you lose money on them, so be it. Lose money on them. You know, get rid of them and, and get the one that's going to work. And you're going to go through a lot of them. 
Now, sometimes you get a really good horse and you like it, but it limits you. Like, let's say you, you, you're you a roper and you're number four and you get a good old solid horse and you go win 100000 at the World Series Finals. And the next year, you get moved, your number gets moved to a five or you're a six and you got to rope in a whole new category and everything's a little bit faster and all of a sudden you realize the horse you're riding isn't sufficient. And you don't have the money to go buy a new horse because you spent it on a living quarters trailer. You forgot what got you there. You're going to have to step your game up. And pulling a newer trailer isn't stepping your game up. Buying a new horse is. So, um, anyway, y'all do with that whatever you want. I'm going to leave you with that. Uh, you know, and uh, I hope y'all have a good Saturday. Fourth of July is coming up. Remember that the reason we celebrate that is because the Declaration was written. We became a new nation. We sent a letter of war to the largest country in the world. We stood toe-to-toe with them and beat them because Americans fought for freedom. And remember to honor those that died for that. Fourth of July. It's a great day. It's coming up. So take that. God bless. This is Scott Hume from somewhere on the plains of Texas.